This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. And good morning, everybody. Welcome to Under the Dome with CD, and hopefully, you're having a fantastic day. Dare I say, wonderful. I'd say amazing to a certain extent because it is fight day on this Louisiana Saturday morning. Of course, I'd assume damn near everybody who's within the sound of my voice is rooting for the man from Lafayette, Louisiana, the heart of Cajun country, one of the kings of Fightville in Dustin Poirier. And of course... We're going to talk about that and so much more on the program today. And as always, we're coming to you live from the beautiful, palatial, dare I say opulent, first South Farm Credit Studios. Baby, we're looking good. And we most certainly are looking good. You may not be able to see us on a simulcast like you can during the week, but just know we looking fresh, we looking good, we feeling good on this Louisiana Saturday morning. And appreciate you listening in however you're doing. So be it through that FM dial, that tower of power. The tower of power, too sweet to be sour. I'm funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit and space is the place. Oh, yeah. Or better yet, you're listening to us through, I'd say something even better, the free mobile app, 1037thegame.com. And also, you know, you have those Amazon smart speakers. You know, you can tell your Alexa or your Google Home to play 1037 the game. Go ahead and do that. That way you can listen to us crystal clear. And we got a brand new Alexa skill. If you if you haven't set it up yet, go do that now. And then you can listen to us crystal clear through your smart speaker anywhere, anytime. We got you covered. I saw last week we had people out there in the dang Philippines. Didn't know that that's how far our reach was. But you know what? I'm glad we're going to take it. But again, appreciate you listening in. As per the usual, hopefully you make this a great one. And I'm not going to waste any more time because I need to get down and get down to business. What, what's causing all this on a, once again, Louisiana Saturday morning with your Saturday Sports Sermon. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon. Tonight's the biggest night for fans of the fight game with Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. They're going to be facing off for the third time and the second time this year alone. The trash talk is mostly over. Both fighters made weight and late tonight, probably around 11 o'clock, 11.30, the world that is MMA fans, they will be watching this contest with bated breath. I wrote a column earlier this week on 1037thegame.com, and I'll put it simply. This is the most important fight of the Diamond's career. 
And just in terms of his legacy, it's massive. Trilogy fights are something that is very rare, both in the MMA and boxing world. And pro wrestling, especially in the last 10 years, it's almost a birthright at this point that we'll see a trilogy one way or another. And even then, it's really not really acknowledged as much as it probably should be. But whoever comes out on top of these battles winds up being looked at in a better light in terms of the legacy of the sport and their legacy to it. Ali is considered one of the greatest in the history of the sport of boxing. I think a lot of it is the fact that you wound up having one of the greatest trilogies of all time, bar none, Ali Frazier. Ali won those final two fights. Steve is widely regarded as one of the best heavyweights in the history of the UFC because of his trilogy with a, another legend in Daniel Cormier. He ended the Laviette's native career in the rubber match last year. And DC had a legendary career. He's considered probably one of the greatest just general fighters because he performed very well in the heavyweight division in Strike Force. The light heavyweight division in the UFC was a champ champ, light heavyweight, and the heavyweight championship. That's something that probably will never be done again. I think unless John Jones manages to get his act together. But that's a different conversation for a different day. You can talk about Chuck Liddell, BJ Penn, the list goes on and on and on. And the fight game is loaded with great trilogies. And this is shaping up to be one of the biggest draws, not just of the year, but in UFC history. Dana White said it best, one of the biggest pre-buys in the history of the UFC, according to him. Now, I don't know if that's pre-ESPN Plus accounting for or what have you. But I'm almost certain there was a huge draw to get this thing going. As Right after Poirier McGregor 2, let's get Poirier McGregor 3 in place. And he, Poirier, again, needs to win this contest, hands down. The biggest reason why is because, in my mind, I could be completely wrong here on this take, but if he loses, this may take him out of the contention for the lightweight championship, not just in the short term, let's say the next six months, and we see him potentially face off against, you know, Charles Oliveira in by the end of the year, because that's kind of what they're aiming for. They said as much during the press conference. But you think about it. Poirier likely will never get another shot at the belt because he'll be facing Conor McGregor that's towards the end of his career, in the twilight. In my mind, he's probably got just about one more fight left in him after tonight. And it'll be either for the lightweight title against Oliveira or he gets another trilogy fight opportunity with Nate Diaz, which could be a massive draw in the history of the sport. I mean, Conor McGregor is 35 years old. And Dana said as much during the press conference on Wednesday. Excuse me. Yeah. No. Thursday. Thursday night was the press conference. Don't know why I thought it was Wednesday. But anyways, Dana White said as much during the pre-fight press conference. And speaking of that, we saw the old Conor McGregor. His fastball was a little off, though, in terms of his ability on the mic. It felt like maybe he was a little bit shook up by the diamond. The fact that he... Knocked him on his backside. And it was amazing to kind of see him look like he was trying to be his old self. And he was to a certain extent. He was still Ric Flair on the Mike-esque, but maybe more Ric Flair late 2000s into the twilight of his career where he maybe is a little bit more loopy, if you will. But it's huge. And Poirier... He picked his spots and wound up getting really good pot shots. And even Conor McGregor called him out. I was like, good one. Like he, I, That pretty much told you 
how much of a work this was and how much of an angle this all builds up to and makes you want to buy the pay-per-view even more. And there's no doubt in my mind a lot of people are going to be buying this pay-per-view all across the country, if not the entire world. And I got to say, I loved everything about that press conference because it was exactly what we needed to see after what we saw in Abu Dhabi when these two were very reserved, were very much relaxed. Maybe we got to see a little more of the real Conor McGregor versus a fake Conor McGregor where he's put, where he's turning it up to 11. Like we always hear about in pro wrestling. Your character is you times 11. That's how you get it over. He gets it over because he is absolutely the most over-the-top, flamboyant, bombastic fighter in the history of the UFC. But Poirier had one line in particular that I think stole it all, and I think I think it's absolutely the right take. Not McGregor fast, McGregor sleep. McGregor, not McGregor fast, McGregor sleep. Not McGregor fast, McGregor sleep. And I can't wait to see McGregor get knocked out fast and McGregor go to sleep. Not McGregor fast, McGregor sleep. That's what I want to see tonight. And I'll put my cards on the table right here, right now. I'll say what I said earlier in the week. And if you didn't hear it, I'll throw it out of here, right here, right now. Poirier wins by knockout in the second round of UFC 264's main event. Moves on to fight Charles Oliveira. But before that, he'll go back home and enjoy that red breast 21 he's got back at home. He's going to gas out McGregor one way or another. He'll get it done. I'll talk to one of our guys in the office, and he kind of said, hey, you know, he said McGregor, excuse me, Poirier in the third round by submission. If he gets a submission victory on McGregor, and it's been a while since we've seen something like that from Conor McGregor, him losing by submission. And I think this is going to be something that I think looms large for the notorious one. Can he fight on the ground? Can he be... Can he get out of these kind of situations where he's on the ground and is getting banged? He's getting hurt a lot. Last time he got submitted was back in 2018. It's been a few years, but I guarantee you, if anybody could do it, it's Dustin Poirier, a guy who's definitely has built up a reputation and has been one of those guys on America's top team. And he's seven of his thirteen, excuse me, seven of his twenty-seven wins have been courtesy of submission. The last time he had submission was, I'll say, going back all the way back to 2017 against Anthony Pettis, the main event of the UFC fight night. He wound up winning that one late in the third round. So it's been a while, but I'll still stick to my guns and say that Poirier wins by TKO. And he sends Conor McGregor on down to Nate Diaz, either that or the retirement home. And that's all I got to say about that. There's no doubt in my mind that it's fight night tonight and Dustin Poirier makes the Lafayette area proud and he sets himself up for a golden opportunity to become the lightweight champion and the outright lightweight champion. Not some interim championship, but he can say he is outright the undisputed lightweight champion of the world, not having to deal with fighting Khabib Nurmagomedov down the road. He'll never have to deal with Conor McGregor again. 
These quadrilogies are super rare in the sport of MMA. I don't think I've ever seen a quadrilogy in the sport of MMA, but who's to say if you were able to get the money? But again, I think Nate Diaz is the last fight for McGregor because you need to get you need to book that trilogy. And I think Nate Diaz is also towards the end of his robe as well. So I want to put those two in a main event. We get to see these two one final time on pay-per-view, sell it out in the Death Star. I think that's the way things are going to go. If you got a take on the fight, hit us up, 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111. we got a lot of th- other things to get to all throughout the show today, including some Astros. we got John Eric Poli joining the program at 1030. We're going to talk a lot more about UFC 264, the entire card, up, down, sideways. We're also going to have on, in about 15 minutes, John Eric Poli. Excuse me, Chris Gordy. I said John Eric Poli just now, but we'll have Chris Gordy at 9.30. A lot of people on my mind in terms of the guests we have on today's show. But 9.30, Chris Gordy will be talking to Houston Astros. Big series this weekend against the against the New York Yankees. They lost last night. Haven't scored a run in about like, only scored one run in the last like 19 innings. That's crazy to think about. But tonight is going to be a determining game, no doubt in my mind, because you're playing against the Yankees and Garrett Cole is on the mound. We'll talk about that more at 9.30. But coming up next, I'm going to talk about Ed Ogeron because I saw some preseason rankings according to the according to CBS Sports ranking the SEC head coaches. We'll talk about that and more right here on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Of course, appreciate you listening in on this Saturday morning. We'll be back after this. considered world famous, but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us. Just don't talk to him while he's eating. Lay off me, I'm starving! Now, back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game, 103.7thegame.com. Coming to you live from the First South Farm Credit Studios as per the huge. And we're talking about UFC 264 a good bit to start off the show, and justifiably so. But if you want to enjoy UFC 264 not want to have to pay to go see it live in a living color, we got you covered over at Twin Peaks on Johnston. That's right, Twin Peaks on Johnston. You can come on over, come hang out with me, the world-famous CD, and you can chat me up about the UFC, what your prediction is, and so much more. I'll be live out at Twin Peaks on Johnston. Starting around the time when the prelim fights do indeed start on Saturday, or excuse me, tonight at 7 o'clock. Make sure you come out for the eats, the drinks, the scenic views, and fighting! We got so much to get to from that perspective. We'll talk about more on that at 10.30. John Eric Poli will have Chris Gordy coming on in about nine minutes. Talk about what's going on with the Houston Astros, who have lost two straight but this team has definitely kind of seen a little bit of ups and downs lately. But more importantly, they were able to get two out of three over the Oakland A's to kind of 
put a little bit of more of a bridge gap between themselves and the dreaded A's currently, who are now four and a half games back right now. But we'll talk more about the Astros in the next segment because I've got some thoughts on that franchise as well as the big matchup we'll be seeing tonight with Garrett Cole on the pump for the Strohs. And also, you know, got Carlos Correa on the IL. And, you know, obviously the All-Star snubs, Altuve and Correa both opting out of the All-Star game. I just think, you know, Correa turns out he probably was going to miss out anyways because he is apparently on the IL to do, quote, health and safety protocols. Let's go ahead and put it that way, not speculate any further. But let's get to some stuff about LSU football because CBS Sports, i got to give them credit, they've been dropping these really cool Power 5 coach rankings before the season ahead. This comes from Barrett Salee. It's they banded together to do their offseason, you know, annual coaching rankings. And it's crazy just to see where things land amongst the, the, the conference of Dixie. You have obviously Nick Saban, number one. I think everybody is probably surprised how two, three, and four went. But I think a lot of people maybe are saying I saw like some column put this out as like a slap in the face towards LSU fan base with Ed Ozron being ranked fifth. Now, who's ahead of him outside of Nick Saban? That's kind of the real question here. Dan Mullen, I can definitely get with that. Probably would rate him a little bit higher because he was able to beat Georgia and get them to the SEC championship game in his third year and got him to a New Year's Six Bowl each of the last three seasons while he's with Gainesville. And they won the SEC East last year. He definitely deserves to be towards the top. I think he's a guy, you know, that is that quarterback whisper. Kyle Trask is absolutely a key part of that. I'm surprised it's four. I'd probably in my personal rankings, and I'm just going off top here. I go Nick Saban one, I'd probably go Florida number two. And I'd put Jimbo Fisher at number three. Because he's at number two right now. So number two is Jimbo Fisher. Number three is going to be Georgia's Kirby Smart. I think Kirby Smart could slide well into that four spot because he's had moments to where they can get things, where he can get in, and he's made the, the that team's made the college football playoff and almost won a national championship in 2017. But the fact he didn't win the SEC East, and I feel like maybe Kirby Smart could very well n- no longer have that like stranglehold that Georgia's had for a good while in terms of the SEC and the way the conference of Dixie works. That said, I'm intrigued by Texas A&M. Having them as number two, I think Jimbo Fisher, once he kind of started able to work with his own ingredients after largely kind of changing it up after Kevin Sumlin, after getting rid of Kevin Sumlin's guys, this team last year was very much a fringe college football playoff contender. A lot of people were out of their minds for thinking that, but you know, it is what it is. So that's kind of where I'm at on this is that Texas A&M's Jimbo Fisher probably deserves to be still in the top three, but I feel like he just is a number three. But for me, I think Ed Ostrom, heading into this season, after everything that happened last year, after a national championship, he just, he outright deserves to be considered the fifth best, best coach in the SEC. Below him, I'm just going to go ahead and run through the first three. Then we got a call on the line. It's number six, Kentucky, and that's Mark Stoops' head coach. Brian Harson in his first year is ranked seventh at Auburn, and then the Lane Train ranked eighth, just above Mike Leach, 
in the nine spot, which I can definitely justify. I'd probably put Brian Harson. I'd probably flip Ole Miss in Auburn because I think Lane Kiffin, obviously, in his second season, he's going to improve that team just a little bit more. But now we're going to go out to the 103.7 The Game hotline, and let's see who we got. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Hey, how you doing, man? Oh, pretty good. Uh, I got mine totally different from what you got. I got, uh, of course, Nick Saban. Obviously. I got I got Jimbo Fisher, and then I got Ed Ogeron three. I cannot put a coach up there who has not won a national championship. I'm sorry. They haven't got it done. Uh, they made it. Kirby Smart, he made it there, but he didn't win. So you got to win a national championship if I'm going to put you up there uh, top coaches in uh, the SEC, and particularly in the SEC West. And I'm with you on that. Uh, uh, no, go ahead. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Ken. But for me, I think it's like El, Ed Ogeron, you know, if he wound up getting this team to a like above 500 record and if they didn't, you know, basically opt out of bowl season, I probably would put him a lot higher. But I feel like at the end of the day, Ed Ogeron has to build back up equity because – you don't go from being a national champion to being a middling five and five team at LSU. I I've made the comparisons for months, and I've said it probably since last season, since the Alabama game. Ed Ogeron is very close; is is basically precariously perched on the Gene. Chiswick level. He is very close. It's a lot like when you go watch him, uh, Price is Right. You, you, if you've watched Price is Right, you know where I'm about to go with this. It's the that's too high. We got, we got the, we got the, the I'm trying to think of what nationality he is, but the, he's the guy that goes up the hill and you basically are to get the prices right or at least close to the number. And if he goes over, he's going to fall over the cliff. The dude's at the top of the cliff right now. And if you lose the game against UCLA, you lose a lot of goodwill and a lot of good faith, especially with everything going on with the Title IX investigations. All that ongoing, you are going to be absolutely having a hard time like proving something to me. And I'm absolutely telling you now, like Ed Ozeron loses that UCLA game. The seat goes from hot to scalding in like a heartbeat because there is so much on the line. Seriously, there's so much on the line for Ed Ogeron this year. You lose that first game, I think it's all over for him. And we see him, you know, start to realize how quickly this thing is going to like dovetail. I think LSU wins that one, and I think at best there I feel like the ceiling for this team is 10 and 2. The floor is 8 and 4. So that tells you that the margin for error is very, very small, especially in the Conference of Dixie. Any team, anywhere. I think Texas A&M is on the come up. And for me, I'd probably put him still in the top three. Ed Ogeron, he's got to prove it to me after 2020 and prove that is an absolute like fluke. Because I've said it for a while. Like, Did Ed Ogeron just have a three-year plan in place and then after the three-year plan is executed to the best of his ability, and we see that franchise, that program, overnight go from being, you know, the, the prince, and now they're going back to the pauper. Like, this is where it is where it is right now. 
Can LSU get back? I know the professor put up a poll question earlier about what does LSU get to 10 wins in 2021? I'm not necessarily sure that's going to happen. It's definitely split 52-48 according to the poll we have right now on 103.7 The Game. You can follow us on there. You can also follow me on there at Clen Doming, C-L-I-N-T-D-O-M-I-N-G-U-E. You can check me out over there. You get to hear all my hot takes about sports and especially the fight game. And make sure you go check that out. I can't wait. I seriously cannot wait for tonight. But, yeah, I think that Ed Ogeron is on the hot seat. But it's it's a prohibit, it's provisionary hot seat. Because there's probably about three or four things that he can do to avoid getting going from hot to scalding in, like, a New York bleeping minute. And one of those things has to be beating UCLA and beating teams like a Mississippi State, like an Ole Miss, and beating them the way they should be beaten. Because the Mississippi State game, losing that one like you did to start 2021, that was a bad look. You want up having K.J. Costello, who did nothing else, who did bleep all after that. He absolutely just... Wasted potential after the way LSU just absolutely wasted a season defensively. If they can get things going, I can say, I'll turn around and sell you, you know, halfway through the season, if LSU is undefeated heading into the Bama game, I'm going to turn around and say, hey, I think I think the hot seat's off of them. I'll, I'll come back and say it. I'll come back and own up to my hot take here. But at the end of the day, Ed Ostrom falls below that eight and four mark, and then including a UCLA loss. Good luck, God bless. He's to be out the door. It's very similar to Gene Chizik. I keep using that comparison because it's pretty apropos. Because Gene Chizik had every chance to get this team over the hump. Gene Chizik absolutely had every opportunity to turn that team from a national championship with Cam Newton, the second Cam Newton left, that thing fell apart real quick like. So maybe, just maybe, it was more about Joe Burrow than, you know, the ability that one man in Ed Ogeron had in terms of his recruiting ability. But that's something we'll find out a little bit further down the road. We'll come back. we got a lot more to get to. We'll talk with Chris Gordy of Sports Talk 790. Going to talk some Houston Astros baseball. We'll be back after this on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. Fuel Manchester United, I suppose. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. And of course, we got to 
We'll talk some soccer maybe a little bit later with the, the Copa America. That's to be wrapping up this weekend. Uh, assuming that's tonight. Tomorrow you got the Euro final. But we're going to get to some more baseball talk. And that is with our guy Chris Gordy. Sports Talk 790. And, of course, we got to talk about the Houston Astros and the way they've been performing as of late and so much more. Chris, how you doing, man? Let me just tell you, I think I would rather watch uh, the Missouri spring game three times in a row than watch soccer. And I'm I, here's the thing: I, for the most part, I'm completely with you outside of like World Cup years. But I got to say, I, I've just been in. Intru- I I think it's going to be fun to see the Euro final tomorrow. Just a, like, it's something a little bit extra on the weekend. That on on the whole, you know, you, it's so darn busy. At UFC 264 tonight. You've got the NBA Finals with the Phoenix Suns, so on and so forth. It's absolutely, like, it's starting to get, like, really fun weekends to where it's all going to be building up in a few weeks' time where we're going to wind up getting to the college football season before you know it. Yeah, I mean, look, I have friends who are diehard soccer fans, and I give them hell all the time. But, I, <laughs> yeah, like, to me, this is the time of year to start studying up on college football depth charts, watching film, and getting ready for the college football season. SEC media day is coming up in a little over a week, so it's that's what I'm hyped up for. And trust me, I'm in that same boat as well. Meanwhile, let's get to the Houston Astros right now and start off. You know, it, it's weird to see this team where they'll be knocking off the, the cover off the ball in the middle of like a long win streak stretch, but then all of a sudden when they lose. They go ice cold. They got shut out last night by the New York Yankees. Have only had one run in what the last like seventeen, like eighteen innings, something like that. Yeah, it's uh, it, they're in a little bit of a drought right now, and it's funny because I saw some people like the the number one complaint that everybody's had lately has been the bullpen, and look, it hasn't been a strength all season long. They've had moments where they've looked good and gotten the job done. It's funny how that works when the bullpen is fine and getting the job done, nobody says anything. And the first, the first glance of trouble and somebody gives up a run, it's like, see, here we go. Worst bullpen in the, in baseball. But I saw people complaining on social media last night. Brian Abreu, the reliever comes in, he gives up a couple runs and it's like, Oh, the bullpen's terrible. I'm going, guys, you've scored zero runs. Like if you're sitting here complaining about the bullpen on a night where you scored zero runs, you, you can't win a game scoring zero runs. So exactly. Like, I, I just I, I tell people I'm like adjust your anger accordingly. <laughs> like <laughs> when the team can't score runs and they're getting shut out, that's that's a bigger problem than any pitching problems you might have. So yeah, they're in a little bit of a funk. Carlos Correa, we found out right before the game last night was was ill. He went on the IL. Don't know if it's COVID or what, but uh, yeah, Dusty Baker said yeah. You don't think. Uh, Carlos Gray is really sick. You know, he he would he would come out here with one arm and try to play against yeah. the Yankees. That's how much he hates them. So, uh, yeah, I think him being out kind of hurt things a little bit. And they're just in a little bit of fun. They got to figure it out offensively. They they had one of these droughts earlier this year where they couldn't score many runs, and then all of a sudden they went off on a tear and they were scoring seven, eight, nine runs a night. So I expect them to get back there. You'd like them to just bounce back and. Find a way to scratch across the runs today and tomorrow and at least take two out of three against the Yankees before going into the All-Star break. Oh, no, taking two out of three is absolutely massive. It's all around Chris Gordy, Sports Talk 790. But I think that's absolutely what needs to happen is take two out of three, head into the All-Star break with a lot of momentum, and especially because you managed to kind of put some social distancing, if you will, between you and the Oakland A's in terms of the standings. Is it currently four and a half games up on them? And if you can get a couple wins, namely, I think tonight is the most important one of uh, of all of them. 
because you're playing against Garrett Cole, who we'll talk about in a minute. But how important is that to kind of like head into the break with a lot of momentum? Well, that was the frustrating thing for weeks was they were winning games and, you know, hey, they've won nine out of 11 and all this. And you look up in the standings and they were still like two and a half games behind the A's because the A's wouldn't lose. It was like every time you won, the A's would win. And so it was like you couldn't close that gap. Well, finally, yeah, about two weeks ago, they, they started to close that gap. And then, you know, the A's come in a minute made this past week. They take two, you know, Astros take two out of three against them. And so now they've built themselves up a little, a little cushion here and, yeah, it's um, it, it's going to be interesting down the stretch of the season. We're we're hearing about you know obviously the trade deadline coming up, and you know one of the big names out there, Craig Kimbrell with the Cubs. They're trying to decide: are we going to be sellers, or are we going to still try to make a playoff run? Uh, Kimbrell will be the hottest name on the market. He is having a, a fantastic year, and um, you know the the reality is the Astros they could use some bullpen help, but they just don't have the the rich farm system like they had in years past, and so. You know, I've been reading Oakland might be a player, and Oakland typically is a player. They're always making moves at the trade deadline, and so that that would stink. If you know you're in this heated battle, and you know, the A's go out and get one of the big names on the on the trade market, and you don't get it, you know how will that play out down the stretch? So I don't think the A's are going away. I feel like they've been playing, you know, with a little bit of luck the first half of the season, but the Astros are the better team. They should win the American League West. Exactly. It's the key word should, especially just the way they've been looking as of late. Meanwhile, let's get into the heart of the matter here, and that is, one, Garrett Cole. Because I, just, I have to think this is going to be just so much heat on you know Garrett Cole the exact second he is announced on the starting lineups. Because unlike Mike Fires, he is actually stepping up to the mound and is actually going to play against the Astros inside Minute Maid Park. I can about imagine the Boo Birds will be out in full force tonight. Yeah, we, we were kind of debating that on the station the last couple of days. You know, what, what kind of reaction will he receive? Well, you know, are fans going to boo him? Are fans going to cheer him? And, you know, I thought they were going to play the tribute video for him today. Well, they actually ended up playing it before last night's game. And for the most part, it was it was it was more cheers than boos, but... You know, the, the reality of the situation is Garrett Cole pitched his butt off for the Astros for two years. They, they, you know, they, they had two amazing postseason runs with him, and he was a free agent, and he went where the most money was. The Astros did not offer what the Yankees offered, and so you can't blame him for going there. But that said, he is on the enemy now, and so it, it, it you know, it's like you, you cheer him when, when they show the, the Astros clips, but then you boo him when, you know, he takes them out. I think that's that's the fair thing to do, but it's a very split thing. Like people are, you know, there's talk of when George Springer, you know, the Blue Jays came to town a couple of weeks ago, but Springer was hurt. And it was like, all right, well, if Springer comes back with the Blue Jays, yeah, you cheer him before the game, but in the game, you're not cheering for him. No. So it's a weird dynamic that fans have where it's like, okay, well, he was one of our favorites, but now he's doing it for somebody else. We don't like you, but I, I got a feeling they'll, they'll cheer when they announce him tonight, when they take them out, they'll cheer him. And then that'll be that. I think everybody will be rooting for the Astros to whip up on Garrett Cole. I might, I'm just thinking about it more because when you think about the Astros, especially the last year or so, and how much hate they've gotten from New York, you go back to the series they had over in the Bronx. You heard the censored for radio Altuve chants. You heard all that stuff. Like, you know, that's definitely something that I feel like the fans over in Houston heard loud and clear, and they definitely did not like it. So it just feels like, you know, it's almost like, external heat just in terms of wearing 
those pinstripes, one, you're part of the evil empire, number two, your fan base absolutely lambasts us every chance we get. Why not give you some back? Yeah, I heard a little bit of there was a there was a a, a blank the Yankees cheer that broke out at Minute Maid Park last night, and that was kind of that answer awesome. to blank Altuve cheers that were we were hearing at Yankee Stadium a couple weeks back. But yeah, for the most part, I mean, look, it, it's good to be back and 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 having a real baseball atmosphere. I know the announced attendance last night was over forty thousand, and kind of disappointing that the home team couldn't put up any runs, you know, with with a packed stadium, but. uh no, I mean it's it, it, it's back feeling more like real baseball now with, with the full stadiums and and again, I, you know, nobody in that stadium likes the Yankees. I was actually surprised being at the ballpark last night that there weren't more Yankee fans because the Dodger fans showed out several weeks back when they came to Minute Maid Park. I mean, Dodger fans were, were you know they came out to boo the Astros and and make their voice heard. Maybe it's because the the Astros already went to Yankee Stadium earlier this year, but you and I know. There's tons of Yankee fans all across the South. I have friends who used to drive from New Orleans to, to Arlington to go see the Yankees play once a year. So I, I thought there would be more Yankee fans there last night, but maybe it's because they've been in this, in this struggle. Their offense has not been as good as they were supposed to be. I believe coming into the weekend, they were ranked 18th in batting average, batting 239 as a team. That's awful for the guys that they have on that team from Stanton to judge to LeBayu. All those guys are underperforming, and uh, yeah, I mean, look, I thought the Astros were primed to take uh, advantage of them, but again, you don't score any runs, you can't, you can't win. Were you surprised at the fact you have Carlos Correa and Jose Altuve both decide to? I hate to use this term because it feels like such a twenty twenty term, but opt out of the All Star game. Yeah, I was a little surprised, but I think they're both doing it and doing it for their own individual reasons. Uh, Carlos Correa's wife is pregnant with their first child and it's due later this year, but I think he sees it as an opportunity. The Astros just played something like 29 games in 30 days or something crazy that they just played. Like I think Carlos Correa looks at it as look, if I can have four days at home with my wife, I've been to an all-star game before been there, done that. You know, I think I want to go do that because Jacob deGrom just made the same decision, you know, just last week and, and he got, you know, criticized for that. But I think Correa decided that. And then Altuve, you know, for a completely different reason, he's got a leg injury that's been yeah. bothering him. And if you look at Altuve, he's not been the same lately. His swing has been off. His timing has been off. And I think he kind of said, look, if I can get off my legs for four days and rest up, I think I'll be ready to go for the back half of the season. So two very different reasons. I, I don't have a problem with it. I think some people started the whole thing about, oh, they don't want to face their peers and you know, because of the cheating scandal and all this. Uh, dummies, the, the the players voted on part of the All-Star team. So, you know, the, the player vote factors in. So they wouldn't be in the All-Star game if the players didn't support them and, and get vote, you know, and get votes from them. So I think that's all overplayed. I think the whole cheating scandal, I think a lot of the players are, are over it. Um, I think it's just the opposing fan bases that still harp on it and bring it up. And then the, the media, the New York media and the L.A. media yep. continue to harp on it, bringing up the, those cheating Astros. They just got to keep bringing it up. It's like, come on now. Like it's been, it's been a couple of years, and we start to see more and more with the spider tax stuff and the cheating and whatnot. And, you know, I think everybody to a certain level does indeed cheat. And I think we can definitely start seeing that more with Garrett Cole. Now that he's with the New York Yankees, it feels like that spin rate has gone way down. It has. And, he, I mean, it, it's, it's been evident. When you look at his numbers from, you know, his last handful of starts – 
to earlier in the season, it is he's a completely different pitcher right now. And, you know, it, nothing was more evident than when they asked him, you know, have you ever used spider tech? And, and he kind of stumbled over his words and said, I, I don't know how to answer that. Well, there's your admission of guilt. We know he was using something. And, and look, part of me thinks it's not very fair to these pitchers to, to make a change in midseason, right? I mean, it, this should have been something that they said, look, we'll address it this offseason, moving forward, no sticky substances. But I think you're having to – a lot of these guys are having to change on the fly what they've been using for years. We know people have been using pine tar and sticky substances for, for decades. So uh, it's not really fair, but at the same time, I'm not going to cry for them. I mean, the, the, the Astros, and I know this is coming off of a – a night where they scored zero runs, but go look at what their offense has done since they they've taken away the sticky substances. I mean, it feels like the offense has erupted, and the Astros have been scoring a lot of runs. So, um, yeah, I think it'll benefit the Astros moving forward. And and um, by the same realm, I don't think many of their pitchers, you know, the Astros pitching staff has used sticky substances. I know it's you know the Garrett Coles, the Trevor Bowers, a lot of the guys who have been around a long time that have used that kind of stuff. So, benefit for the Astros, I think, down the stretch. I got one more for you. Do you think that Mike Fires will ever pitch against the Astros again? No. Uh, <laughs> they have protected him more than any – like, I've never seen anything like that, how every time last season and this season that, you know, it got close to him having to face him, suddenly it was a little injury or a little nick, and, oh, I got to go on the IL and all this. So, no, I think that's something we'll never see. I think he understands the ramifications and – and of what he did and being the whistleblower. And, you know, there are a lot of people who defend him and say he did, he did what was right for baseball and what was right for the game. But there's a lot of people out there who say, no, you're a rat. You don't rat on your teammates on something that you did. That's just not how it goes. And I think the thing that sticks out in a lot of Astros fans' minds is that guy came to Minute Maid Park in 2018, got his World Series ring, stood there to a round of applause, and he still has the ring. I mean, if, it's, if it was so egregious, if it was so bad, give the ring back. Have a big ceremony where you come to Minute Maid Park and say, I'm doing the right thing and I'm giving my World Series ring back because I did not earn this. But he hasn't done that. And that's what makes a lot of Astros fans even angrier about what a rat Mike Fires is. But no, we will never see him pitch against the Astros again. Chris, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks, man. Hey, quick plug. Uh, check out my uh, Locked On SEC podcast. Hell yeah. You get a chance. Mike, Mike Jones, LSU linebacker, Who? joined me this week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it, Chris. Thanks, man. All right, I had to, I had to drop that in. After all, he's, a, he's Houston Sports Radio Sports Talk 790. Chris Gordy, you can follow him on Twitter at Chris Gordy. We'll take a quick timeout. Wrap up hour number one in a nice little bow next Under the Dome with CD is far from your ordinary sports talk show. I am the voice of the voiceless. What other show has more pop culture references than an episode of Family Guy? I just don't want to be involved in any of that mess. Now, back to the famous CD on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. Hour one about to get towards the end of the road. And I gotta say, make sure you Go check out 1037thegame.com, especially our Clubhouse Rewards Club, because all kinds of great stuff is available right now for you to get in on, including 
a $50 gift certificate. If you love some great seafood, Half Shell Oyster House has you covered. And you can enter to win right now a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. You can only win by joining the 103.7 The Game Clubhouse. It's free to enter. You won't be spammed with a bunch of emails. And you can do this, again, for free by joining the clubhouse today at 1037thegame.com. I'll wrap the hour by saying this, and I've only got a few moments left in this hour, but I think the Tokyo Olympics needs to be having an intervention of some kind because you're not having attendance. You are in the middle of a lockdown, in the middle of a pandemic. I think the Olympics need to have an intervention and need to realize that this thing does not need to happen in 2021. Just push it back to 2024. Just move on from Tokyo because it's not looking great, Bob. It's not looking great at all. But hour two is looking great. We'll talk about a whole lot more of UFC 264 and a little bit more just in the world of sports after this right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. And good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD, hour number two of two sweet hours of sports talk. Hopefully, you're having a good Saturday morning, and you're making a great one. Obviously, it's fight night, and I'm feeling pretty damn good. If you want to talk about, give your predictions to UFC 264. Get your shots up. Get your calls in at 337-706-0111. And once again, we're coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Worldwide! Let me try that one more time. We're coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Here, this, worldwide! Woo! There we go. That sounds a lot better. Appreciate you listening in. However you're doing so, be it through, you know, the free mobile app, Amazon Smart Speakers, 1037thegame.com, or the Tower of Power. That is the FM dial on 103.7. He is the tower of power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal to man. And hopefully you've been enjoying the show so far. Talking to Chris Gordy in hour number one. And hour two will bring on John Eric Poli, my MMA news. Pretty much the unofficial MMA guy for under the Dome with CD, Acadiana's most listened to, must listen to Saturday morning sports talk show. Hopefully you're enjoying it. And let's get down to brass tacks here because there's a lot of stuff that's been going on, especially when it comes to college baseball. It's crazy that it's July 10th. I keep promising myself I'm going to start talking about what's going on with LSU football, Cajuns football, 
Obviously, a lot of big commits have, have joined up with the purple and gold. A, lot, a couple big names, solid names, joined the culture this week. In Zion Chris over in Madison Prep, and also a really good Texas edge rusher joined the class of 2022 as well. Definitely a stack lineup to say the very least. But boy, oh boy, we've got a lot to get to in terms of the LSU Tigers and Cajuns on the baseball side of things. Because there's just been a lot of news surrounding it. I mean, it's been a busy week for LSU baseball. I mean, about two weeks after introducing, you know, Jay Johnson as the head coach of the Tigers. And just like that, we turn around and we have two assistant coaches and some really good transfers, namely I think Jacob Berry out of Arizona going to join his head coach over in L- at LSU. Jacob Berry, by the way, his dad, Perry Berry, played for the Cajuns back when they were in the USL days. That was kind of cool when I saw that little thing pop up. But, of course, if you haven't seen it yet, I'm going to go ahead and kind of recap that for you. LSU Baseball has added Jason Kelly as their pitching coach. Who's, he spent the last three years at Arizona State. He's joined the program after spending the last three seasons over there. He was a D1 Baseball Assistant of the Year back in 2018. And you know that Jay Johnson's more along the lines of a offensive-minded guy, a lot like a Matt Deggs, where he's going to be more hands-off, relatively speaking, in terms of how he wants to delegate certain things, namely that and I think the recruiting stuff, because he is absolutely going to be a major part of this team. And he is officially... Also going to be alongside it. Dan Fitzgerald. He's LSU baseball's recruiting coordinator, and they officially hired it. And it's huge to think about it. This guy spent the last nine years at Dallas Baptist University, the other DBU, and established himself as one of the nation's top college recruiters. And this is going to be something I think LSU needs to have, especially in terms of getting guys who are going to be top flight. They've already got some really top flight guys potentially coming over. And now it's all about making sure these guys do indeed come on over because you've got something very important that's going to be starting this Sunday. And that's the MLB draft, which I'll say this. This is another hot take here for you. I think the MLB draft should be during the All-Star break, to be honest with you. Why do I say that? Because of the fact that you don't have to deal with the fact that you'll see on a – Random, like, Tuesday or Wednesday. The MLB MLB draft happens, and then you have... They're still in the middle of playing. Some of these top-flight guys are getting drafted during ball games. That's not the way I'd want to be if I'm a player, is sitting there and just, like, twiddling my thumbs and waiting to see if my name's going to get called up. I'd much rather have it be a moment where I'm with my family and I get to talk about my decision with them than have the conversation with coach about whether or not I'm going to stick around or not. There's a lot of stuff where I'm like, come on now. Like this is an opportunity for you to go make your money. Now, obviously now with name, image and likeness, how much does that change the way the MLB draft works? How much does that change the future? Because we all know that players that are getting drafted in their junior year, 
they have a lot of leverage. Now, obviously, what does that change in terms of that pay that pay grade? Let's put it that way. Because we all kind of know once you get to the eighth to tenth round, once you get towards like middle of day two of the MLB draft, you know that you've got to kind of have an internal clock in your head and say, hey, this is the spot where I'm going to start kind of making, it's going to make the decision a lot easier for me to stay rather than go. Does that round move up or does it move back because of the potential money you could make coming back for your senior season? Comparatively speaking, of course, because let's say, you know, we got Dylan Cruz, for instance. Dylan Cruz is a freshman this year. He's about to be a sophomore for next season. You got him for at least two more years. If he's drafted, and I think he probably could very well, if he keeps it up, he's going to be probably a, like, day one, I'd say maybe even like a second or third rounder. If you're in that range, you're obviously going to be taking the money. But if you're a top-flight player for a program that gets a lot of money from a lot of boosters and you sign on for a deal, like let's say Blake Money, for instance, he signed a deal with Barstool Athletics, Maybe the perfect pairing since peanut butter and jelly, or peanut butter or peanut butter and chocolate. Let's go ahead and put it that way. What happens there? Does the player take the opportunity to go play minor league baseball and maybe get paid a fraction less than what he'd be getting paid if he's just a college athlete? I think that's going to play large in a lot of players' decisions in the next, let's say, five to ten years. At least this is just how I think about it. I'm sure you might be in a different camp. But I think that's going to change, not in the long term, because I'm sure the guys out there that are very much, you know, the fringe, they may not necessarily be able to get the month. That would be just a one-year thing. But I'm saying guys in the future, like the not-too-distant future, Dylan Cruz, Trey Morgan, those two names are definitely going to be popping up again in 2023 when we have the MLB draft, whenever that may be. Again, I still feel like it should be during the All-Star break and not in the middle of the College World Series because I wouldn't be surprised if those guys can get into Omaha in the next couple of years just based off of how the track record for one Jay Johnson has been. First year, he brought that team from like the doldrums all the way to the College World Series and was one game away from beating Coastal. Remember that? And by the way, I think I've mentioned this before, and it further proves how much of a small world it is. Because Jay Johnson's first year at Arizona was the year they made the College World Series, and they played the Cajuns in the Lafayette Regional, and they wound up taking the final two games of that after the Cajuns had beat them, I believe, on the Saturday to advance the championship Sunday, and then Arizona fought back, clawed back, and wound up winning the whole darn thing, which still was a really cool experience to actually be able to cover a Lafayette regional, one of the last one, the last one we had, and hopefully that can change sooner rather than later because I feel like the Cajuns, they're on the verge of something special. And speaking of the Cajuns, Matt Deggs has reportedly let go of two assistants, Jeremy Talbot and B.J. Ryan. Some perspectives people have said, Jeremy Talbot was about time. In some circles, I'll just say that much. And honestly, I was surprised with both. Because you don't 
get rid of somebody that quickly unless you already have like a plan in place. And obviously you can't have like a third full-time assistant coach, which honestly still is dumb. And we talk about, you know, name, image, and likeness stuff. That's the, one of the most important things you can do for a player. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. But at the same time, you're not giving a player an opportunity, a, a college baseball team, a increase in how many coaches they can have that are paid full-time. That's a load of malarkey. And the second assistant coach is going to be Seth Thibodeau, which is, Honestly, I thought it was kind of cool. I was like, okay, that's awesome. Let's give this guy this opportunity to be the next guy. And obviously, you know, COVID kind of put a big wrench in everything, but I think it's going to be really cool to see Seth Thibodeau reportedly being the full-time assistant coach. Now, I don't know what role he's going to be taking over and presuming pitcher. Could be wrong on that front. I don't know exactly how things go. I don't know necessarily his philosophy either because he could very well be a guy that's more of a hitting coach, something like that, but I'm sure Matt Deggs, because he is such a hitting like philosopher, is able to kind of take that team back in the day into a very improved group of hitters towards the end of his time with the Cajuns that he parlayed into a role with Sam Houston. And he got that team to a really high level. Sam Houston State was really good under his regime, and I'm hoping we can start seeing that pop up a little bit more when we talk about the future of, again, just loving every single moment of it. And so much other things we can get into, and we're going to do that next. I'm going to talk about what's going on with LSU, and boy, oh boy, Sadiq Charles definitely had some pointed comments kind of responding to everything going on with, you know, everybody. You see, I'm uh, trying to remember his name right now, but, you know, Sadiq Charles, after Darrell Rosenthal leaves LSU, Sadiq Charles came out with a very strong statement about his alma mater's drug policy, and we'll talk about that next right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. We'll be back with more Under the Dome with CD next. If you want to call in, 337-706-0111. The numbers don't lie, because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. And they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Now let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk on Acadiana's Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to uh, Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game, 103.7thegame.com. And we got all kinds of great stuff available for you right now inside the 103.7 The Game Clubhouse at 103.7thegame.com. And that includes a chance to win a $100 Google Play gift card that can be used in the Play Store for apps, games, music, movies, books, and so much more. And I keep mentioning it all the time. If you have that little one that loves playing you know, Fortnite or any of those other games that have microtransactions, which, mind you, like 99% of them do nowadays. They have those microtransactions where you can like pay for ads or pay to win or pay for different skins or, or something. There's there, there's somehow some way they're going to make you pay X amount of dollars 
and a $100 Google Play gift card is definitely going to save your wallet. So make sure you get in on the action today at 1037thegame.com. It's free to enter and free to join. So what in the world are you waiting for? Enter in now for a chance to win a $100 Google Play gift card. I was talking about earlier about Sadiq Charles, and this came about a week after Dare Rosenthal left the program, and he actually is now going to be going to the University of Kentucky, which, by the way, this really speaks to how much like LSU fans just go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs sometimes. And I just retweeted this from Matt Jones of my Kentucky Sports Radio. Matt Jones w- broke the news about former LSU offensive lineman Darrow Rosenthal going to be joining the Kentucky Wildcats this fall. I just retweeted. I don't quote tweet it. I don't put any context behind it. And then I get somebody responding to it and mentioning me in it. And by the way, my mentions have just been a mess with that. So mentioning like they always got it, they always getting their leftovers, referring to Kelvin Joseph. And then it goes back and forth. It's a whole like debate. I, I mean, what is going on here? And it was just a lot to kind of unpack at this point. I was like, every time I'd see, and it would just never end. But who boy, it's going to be a lot of fun to see how he transitions. And he's going to be having an opportunity to play against LSU this season based off of the schedule. Obviously, things hopefully won't change. But the way things have gone in Tokyo, don't be surprised if things do indeed change with the schedule, but I'm looking forward to seeing how he's going to look. But Sadiq Charles put out a statement on Twitter that he, that he deleted like right after and said, quote, since nobody want to say it, I will. I mean, this is the exact quotes. I'm not paraphrasing here. If you smoke weed, do not go to LSU. It will be blown. It will, it will be blown out of proportion and used against you compared to how a lot of other programs handle that. Who boy, that is definitely not what you want to hear. If you're a guy that's wanting to get these kids aboard. But at least it's somewhat factual. I think you can kind of go back to as far back as the Honey Badger in that situation. Again, it's controversial, no doubt, especially with everything that's going on in the last week or so involving Shikari Richardson, former LSU track and field star, getting busted for testing positive for the Mary Jane. And then you see her like not even be able to participate in the 4x100-meter relay, which she'd be ready for in time for this 30-day suspension which, again, the Olympics shouldn't happen, really, but the fact that she had an opportunity to go perform and be part of one of the more notable races, the 100-meter dash, because she was absolutely having a golden opportunity to be a part of that and race against one of the best in the country, and the best in the world, I should say, not the best in the country, but the best in the world at their sport. I'm, I was blown away when I realized that. That's how quickly things turn around over at L- it's like it's been a wild week especially when it comes to cannabis and testing positive for THC and stuff like that it's a mess and you know the whole thing with Dare Rosenthal I think it played a huge role into his future into why he made the decision to transfer because he wasn't going to be playing probably a good bit of games this season if he was donning the purple purple and gold because of the sticky icky that's kind of where it's at. But, you know, we're talking about LSU football, and I, I'm going to wind up giving everybody pro- – again, I keep saying it. I'm doing it next week. Next week, I am going to start doing complete breakdowns of everything LSU and the Cajuns. 
you're going to get my full unabridged thoughts on both teams as we as the SEC media days. Not th- not this week, but next week they're going to be getting started. Some belt media days that'll be right around the corner. So trust me when I tell you this. I am going to be on the air next week. Now on the 24th, I, I'm just going to spoil what I've got planned for the next three, next couple weeks, just off top. So I'm going to be giving you schedule predictions for the Cajuns and LSU next week. I'm probably going to go ahead and start previewing things and breaking things down a lot of different ways on the 17th of July. Then the 24th comes around. I'm giving. I'm going like full breakdown city. SEC and Sunbelt wide, and we're going to get into a lot of stuff surrounding that aspect of sports, and then we'll kind of wrap up July, maybe spending a little bit more time getting into the New Orleans Saints before long, because I've already kind of thought out the next couple weeks. It's just the fact that this weekend is Poirier-McGregor 3, and obviously we had so much news surrounding the... It still blows me away that we see... LSU making headlines, and it's more on the world of like baseball and basketball to a certain extent. A couple weeks ago, when Darius Day is coming back, football's largely kind of been like hiding in the background, just waiting to show up. Usually, football is making all the headlines, but it's such a weird year because we're still like in that middle ground of COVID nineteen and stuff like that, and we don't know where things are going to go from here. But probably we'll talk about that and more in the next couple of weeks. We'll definitely be spending a lot more time. Probably hour one will be more LSU-related. Hour two will be more Cajuns-related. And we'll definitely probably spend a little time talking to the Saints as well because training camp will be here before you know it. And then you'll get closer to the season. And trust me, I've got some pointed thoughts. We'll break it all down next week. And if you want to call in on that next week, 337-706-0111. We're going to take a quick timeout, and when we come back, we're going to get on our guy, John Eric Poli, my MMA news, and we're going to preview UFC 264, undoubtedly a really stacked card, and we're going to talk about that and so much more right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Back after this. to the 20 by 20 squared circle and everywhere in between the world famous cd isn't afraid of tackling any topic just don't expect him to get into the ring with anyone he offends just bring it let's get back to under the dome and welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And that music is getting me amped up because tonight, UFC 264 tonight. And by the way, if you want to come check it out, we'll be at Twin Peaks on Johnson. We, meaning me, I'll be out there. Twin Peaks on Johnson enjoying the eats, the drinks, the fighting, and the scenic views. And by the way, if you ever been to Twin Peaks, they got some nice 29-degree Teeth chattering cold beer. I'm not a beer drinker, so trust me, you'll have plenty of it available for you over at Twin Peaks on Johnson. UFC 264 tonight. We'll be live out there. So make sure you go go stop by, check it out, say hey, and trust me, it's gonna be a packed house. If I've any past 
UFC pay-per-views with Dustin Poirier, Daniel Cormier, which I didn't realize kind of rhymed, but those two inside an octagon, you know people from the Acadian area are going to be out there in full support of their guy. Now, whether or not that's changed in the post-COVID world, we'll be seeing tonight. But based off of history, get there during the prelims. Because spoilers, you may not find a seat when it's all said and done. And fight night officially begins with the main card. Sugar Sean O'Malley, one of those big matches. That's definitely a big highlight on the main card, which you'll be able to see only on pay-per-view or ESPN+. Plus. So without further preamble or ramble, let's get out to the 103.7 The Game hotline and bring on our guest from my MMA news, John Eric Poli. John, how you doing, brother? Clint, thanks for having me on again, man. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure it's a big day for you guys down there in Louisiana with Dustin Poirier fighting tonight in the main event. Oh, no, it's absolutely probably one of the biggest nights of the year because I think we're just completely amped up for this main event, Poirier McGregor 3. And we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. But I want to say, this isn't like just a one-card show. This is a really stacked lineup, and it's filled with a lot of great fighters from all different like sizes. You get a heavyweight battle between Greg Hardy and Tai Tuivasa. That one's probably one of the more intriguing in that main card outside of what I was saying earlier, Sean O'Malley, Chris Moutinho, that Sean O'Malley obviously is probably going to be poised for a bantamweight title shot before too long with the win tonight. But let's stick with Tai Tuivasa, Greg Hardy. That one seems to be a lot is going to be a lot of fun. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Especially when you look at Tai Tuivasa, he was coming off of this bad stretch there for a while, last three consecutive fights, and he was able to turn things around in his last two. It looked fantastic. Of course, you have Greg Hardy, too, coming over late to the sport after his football career there. And uh, he's been looking really great as of late, too. He's really starting to come into his own as a fighter. And, you know, the winner of this fight is probably going to get a top 15 opponent. Of course, Tai Tuivasa was ranked in the top 15 for quite some time there uh, before going on the three-fight losing streak. So uh, those two have a lot on the line here tonight, too, because I know they want to crack the top 15 rankings and they want to make a run inside the sport here. I'd agree with you wholeheartedly there. And meanwhile, you know, one of the other guys, I mean, can we agree that Sean O'Malley is probably like one of those like future top draws in the company just because he's got that like charisma and he's got that look that the second you hear that name, Sugar Sean O'Malley, one, it's a phenomenal MMA name, but just his whole look makes him feel like he's probably in the next like couple years going to be a champion. And more importantly, he's going to be, one of those draws after maybe Conor McGregor does hang it up in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, the Sugar Show is a real thing there. He uh, he has the look. He has the personality. Huge fan base. Uh, I think him and Snoop Dogg are pretty close. Anytime Snoop Dogg's involved, of course, you have a lot of uh, people coming out to support there. Uh, the one thing, though, with, with him, uh, like you said, I mean, he hit the nail on the head there. He has all the tools to be a champ and to be a star and everything, but... You know, I want to see him start getting some bigger-name fighters here. Of course, he did fight uh, uh, Cheeto Vera there. He lost that fight. But when um, uh, Almeida pulled out of this fight, I, uh, or I'm sorry, Almeida was the last opponent, I'm sorry, but uh, when his opponent did pull out of this fight, uh, there's so many people that wanted to fight him. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I believe... Um, uh, uh, Marab wanted to fight him, and there was another big name there. I believe it was um, Ryan Bawam, maybe. There was a few, I mean, n- names, names, so many on Twitter calling him out that are ranked opponents 
why not book him against somebody like that? I mean, the guy has all the talent. Everybody wants to fight him. Uh, like I said, Marab, too. Marab's uh, on a great stretch, too, and he's trying to get towards the top. Uh, Ricky Simone. Ricky Simone was another one. Just popped in my head that Ricky Simone called him out. So many great guys want to fight this guy, and, and, and rightfully so, because they know that the star power is there. Let's see him start fighting some of these bigger-name opponents. I mean, not, not, no offense to Chris tonight. Of course, he took the fight on uh, with 10 days' notice, but th- there's big names out there for this guy. Let's start seeing what he could do. Exactly, especially because of the fact that four out of the last five fights have been either performance of the night or fight of the night honors. So they all know this guy can help them get a bonus as well. It's, it's not like he's just a guy that is just flashy as all get out. He can do some amazing things inside the octagon. He's somebody that I think we're all going to keep an eye on, not too distant future. Obviously, he brought up the verified not too long ago, and he wound up injuring his leg in that fight as well, if I'm not mistaken. That was a big reason why he took a little bit of time off before coming back to Ashley because he felt like he was like poised for some great things, but it just did not work out for him in August of 2020 when Sugar Sean O'Malley went down with a pretty pretty rough injury, but he looks to be back and better than ever. Oh, yeah, no, 100%. He, he looked fantastic, too, in that uh, last last fight of his, and it, it's something. I know he's it, so he's 5'11", which is extremely big for the Bantamweight division. I mean, he could fight really all the way up to probably 155 pounds with his size, to, to be honest, but when you have a fighter like that that understands how long he is and how to use it, which is more important, because there's a lot of fighters that are big and are lanky, don't know how to use it. He knows how to use it. When he punches you, he connects. He finds you right on the end of all of his punches. That guy is the real deal. He really is. And the, the UFC, it's better having him in there as much as possible. And I know, like I just said in that last answer, I rambled on a little bit there. It, it's time to start getting him some bigger-named opponents here. And when, when those bigger-named opponents start coming in for him, I mean, the sky's the limit here. He's going to be headlining shows, selling out arenas. It's just about time now for the Sugar Show to start taking over. Looking at the rest of the card, just strictly the prelims and the early prelims, what's one fight that you're going to tell the listeners here on Acadiana Sports Station to go out of your way and check out live? Because it feels like, you know, yet Jessica EA, she's going to be in a really good women's flyweight match in the early prelims. You can check out a UFC Fight Pass or ESPN+. Plus. And he also got another one with a couple notable names, Carlos Condit and Max Griffin, going to be squaring off in the last fight on the prelims. But what's one that you're, mo- like, you're most looking forward to there? Well, first off, this prelim card is very, very sneaky. When you look at it, you're like, eh, I don't know if there's a lot of really ranked guys here. Like A lot of times in the prelims, they really throw a, a really huge one out there. Every single person on, on the prelims and early prelims, they're coming to scrap. Nico Price is going to get into a dogfight. Uh, same thing with Condit and Griffith, going to be a dogfight. Ryan Hall, of course, undefeated in the UFC, uh, too, and a lot of really great fights. But the one that I'm really intrigued with actually comes on the early prelims, Jennifer Maya and Jessica I. And uh, the reason why I'm so intrigued with this one, it's Jennifer Maya's first fight since losing to Valentina Shevchenko, in which, to give Valentina credit for how good she is, she lost the round to Jennifer Maya. Like it's something like when you lose a round and the, you're looking up to the person that won a singular round in the fight really says something. And I, I want to see if Jennifer Maya is ready to, you know, get herself right back into title contention, which she could do with the win tonight. Or is there going to be a bit of a hangover coming out that big fight and maybe falls down a peg? Plus, Jessica I is in a spot too where she's been losing as of late and she really needs a win. 
she's coming in hungry for this fight. She really wants to get back in the win column. Both of these ladies, with the win tonight, get themselves right back into that mix to start edging their name closer to getting a rematch with Valentina Shevchenko. So a lot on the line in that women's flyweight fight, which is the headline of the early prelims. Exactly, and we were talking a lot more about the main card with our guy John Eric Poli, my MMA news. And one of the other fights that's popped up on the main card is going to be Irene Aldana taking on, I'm hopefully I'm going to pronounce this right, you can probably correct me on this if I say it incorrectly, but that's from Yana Kunitskaya, and it's going to be one heck of a main, of, excuse me, a second match on the main card in a catchweight fight. How do you see that one going? Because these are two, like, relatively speaking, in terms of the hashtag casual fans of the UFC, may not know these two. Yeah, well, they're gonna, if they don't know them now, they're definitely going to know them very soon because the winner of this fight is going to put themselves right in the mix now to, to fight Amanda Nunes next because uh, we're looking at two of the top five bantamweights in the world here in this fight. Um, and, yeah, very exciting matchup. The, the weight loss thing really really makes it interesting, too. Uh, usually history will say a lot of times when a fighter misses weight, they always end up winning, and then the poor fighter that loses, it's never mentioned, like, oh, well, you know, I made weight and my opponent didn't. So, of course, there's always that aspect coming into it. And, uh, you know, Yana Kuznagaya, remember, she did fight Chris Cyborg. She is a, a former UFC title challenger. She's right in the mix now. She dates Tiago Santos, who, of course, gave John Jones a good run for his money a few years ago as well. So, yeah, like you said, that's a great matchup, and these two ladies are a hop, skip, and a jump away from fighting probably for a title elimination fight. Talking right now, John Eric Poli, my MMA news. Let's get to the co-main event that we'll spend a lot of time talking about the main event that everybody's been wanting to talk about. Gilbert Burns, Stephen Thompson, a really good co-main event. Obviously, Gilbert Burns, 19-4. and four. Last fight he had was against Kamaru Usman, lost by TKO. In the third round, back in February, Stephen Thompson, it's been a while since he's fought, but he's on a two-fight win streak right now. And like I was mentioning earlier with him, uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley, it's kind of the th- same thing for Thompson. Two straight pay-per-views, or, or pay-per-view slash fight night, where he's had the fight of the night and the performance of the night, respectively. you got to think this is going to be probably a hidden gem amongst the, this 264 card. Yeah, and you know, one thing that's exciting with this matchup, too, we always hear in the sport the classic grappler versus striker matchup, and that is definitely what this is. Of course, Gilbert Burns, uh, great in the jiu-jitsu world, Wonder Boy, of course, amazing stand-up coming from a, a karate background. Uh, Gilbert Burns can throw hands, too, though. He, he's a powerful guy. Of course, he hurt Woodley. He even hurt Kamaru Usman in his uh, championship loss to Usman. So, yeah, great fight that we're in store for with that one, and for Wonderboy, too, he competed for a UFC championship not once but twice, lost two close fights to Tyrone Woodley. And in those fights, not only those two fights, but right after that he lost to Darren Till. And those fights, I felt like he almost didn't want to pull the trigger. I felt like he was kind of holding himself back. And in his last few outings now, I think we're starting to see that vintage Wonderboy. He's really starting to really open up his offense a little bit more. He's starting to take those chances and, and hit people with a lot of really clean shots that are busting people up, hurting people. And I, I, if Wonderboy could bring out that vintage Wonderboy that we saw in his last two outings, this could be his time now to, to fight now for a third chance at the UFC welterweight title. All right, John, let's get to the main event of UFC 264 and what everybody's been waiting for. 
is without a doubt probably the most anticipated fight of the year. Going to probably have the biggest buy rate of 2021 just because of the, the star power attached to it. Conor McGregor, undoubtedly a Hall of Famer in his own right, up against, I'd say, a future Hall of Famer in the UFC, Dustin Poirier. And to me, I wrote it on 1037game.com earlier this week, this feels like the inverse of any like pro wrestling build to it. The fans are cheering the heel and booing the baby face in Dustin Poirier. Let me get your thoughts on that first. How messed up was it you were hearing during the pre-fight press conference on Thursday night, the fans outright booing Dustin Poirier before he even took to, took the mic? Well, that's uh, probably about par for the course, though, at the Conor McGregor press conference because Conor, whether he does something right or whether he does something wrong, the fans absolutely love him. You know, just to put that into perspective, I remember as a fan, I was going to attend uh, the UFC card where Habib ended up winning the, the uh, lightweight title. Yoani and Jacek and Rose Nami Yunus had their rematch, and I spent, oh, God, a over $200 to sit in the Barclays Center with one row behind me, literally in the nosebleeds. But it was supposed to be this epic card. I was looking forward to it. Connor throws a dog through the bus window. The day before, all my friends were sitting there in the bar and going, hey, did you see what Connor did? Isn't that hilarious? No, it's not hilarious. He threw a dog through a bus window and hurt a bunch of people. It's not funny. But that's what you get with Connor McGregor. You know, if you're, if you're Connor's opponent, expect to be booed, expect to be treated badly. That's just, uh, unfortunately, the nature of the beast. I'd agree with you wholeheartedly. Now let's get down to it. If Conor McGregor wins, what's next? Well, I think this one's pretty clear for either guy, really. Uh, Dana White kind of hinted at it earlier in the week and said that the winner of this fight will fight uh, Charles Oliveira for the undisputed lightweight title, hopefully later on this year. Both fighters were asked at the press conference. Conor said, absolutely, this year I win this fight. I will win my championship back later this year. Dustin Poirier got asked the same question. He agreed. He said, yep, absolutely. Uh, Take care of business on Saturday. Later this year, fight for the title. So it seems like everybody is all on board with the winner of this fight getting the uh, shot at the undisputed title. If Poirier loses tonight, what sticks for him? Because to to me at least, I feel like he doesn't get a title shot for the rest of his career because... He gave up the opportunity to fight for the vacant lightweight championship to take this fight with Conor McGregor. Yeah, interesting spot if he loses, right? Uh, you know, he's, of course, one of the best 155-pounder on the planet. There's, there's options out there. The best thing about being in a crowded division like the, Walt, or like the lightweight division, you lose, you fight anybody in the top 10, it's a meaningful fight. So the big thing, what would come into play with him would be if he loses this fight and then if Connor wins the title because then he's really in a real tough spot. He had a trilogy, of course, with him. You know, he would have lost two of them there. It's You think trilogies are real. Seeing four fights, or sorry, that, that trilogies are rare. Yeah. It's even rarer to see a fourth fight. Like, have we ever people. seen a, have we ever, excuse me, sorry. Have we ever seen a quadrilogy fight in the UFC? In the UFC? Not off the top of my head. I'm going to say probably not. I know Bellator did have one recently. Uh, I believe Rampage Jackson was a part of that. Uh, maybe him and Vanderlei Silva maybe ringing a bell there. But, of course, they had fights prior in the UFC and everything else. But it, it is extremely rare. And the other thing for Poirier, too, which I was going to mention, if McGregor wins, not only does McGregor have the belt, 
McGregor's not an active fighter, so if Connor really is serious about going and fighting for this 155-pound title, if he is to win tonight, there's a good chance that if he's to win that later in the year, he's going to really hold things up in this crowded division. And, you know, if McGregor loses, I, I mean, Dana said it outright, it's going to be Nate Diaz, the trilogy fight. And if Connor loses his fight tonight, it, is Diaz going to be his last fight before he goes out on his own sword and just kind of hangs it up? Because, I mean, the dude's making more money than anything that he's doing inside the UFC octagon. He's making so much more money with Proper 12, and he just signed an endorsement deal, I believe, with FanDuel, right? Yeah, yeah, he did, and I, that's been all over Facebook. The probably I've seen on Facebook today is his, uh, the, the sponsorship from FanDuel with Connor's little commercial that he had on it. Yeah, no, he's definitely making money off the whiskey. He makes a ton of money outside of the octagon. You know, with Connor, I guess it's never say never. Of course, he, he has such a, a love for the fight game. The big thing with him, it, all right, if he loses, definitely going to be Nate Diaz. Of course, if he has that trilogy with Nate Diaz and wins, all of a sudden the Connor McGregor hype train becomes a real thing again. So if he really wants to keep fighting, he can. But we know it's it's been said there's a lot of money over in boxing, and I'm not sure exactly what Connor's UFC fight contract is like. But if he gets the permission to go out and box, there's a very good possibility that if he if he loses this fight, fights Nate Diaz, whatever happens there, if he's able to go out and explore some boxing options, he'll take a huge box office in the boxing world for another hundred million dollar payday. I think no questions asked. But it's all up to Connor. You know he can do whatever he wants. He's the man. Uh, you know, if he if he wants to fight again, I'm sure anybody and their mother would take him. That's for sure. Who you got tonight? You know what? I'm I'm sticking with Poirier, and uh, a few reasons there. The biggest. It's only been six months since we last uh, saw these two square off, and Poirier had all the answers. I don't see where Connor in that six months is going to make this huge adjustment to a calf kick. Even if he goes to a more karate based style, like we've seen in the past, that lead leg is still going to be able to be chopped at. That's for sure, and. Not only that, too, I believe Dustin said in one of his interviews after his win, and then Michael Bisbing just recently brought this up again, Connor really isn't the biggest guy in the world at 155 pounds. Dustin mentioned how you know he looks big in pictures because he's muscular, but his core is actually very tiny. And, and Michael Bisbing said the same thing as well. If you actually see him in person, he's not that big of a guy. Yesterday on the weigh-ins, when they first stepped on the scale, Connor looked really small, and the notion was he put on probably a little bit of weight for this fight to try to be bigger and stronger against their Poirier, because I think he's felt Poirier's power. The ceremonial weigh-ins happened last night. When you look at Dustin, he steps on the scale. You can tell he's still rehydrating, but he's put on some size and some mass. He's still going to continue to do that. He's probably going to weigh in tonight somewhere around 180 pounds. Connor on the skip of ceremonial weigh-ins yesterday still looked really small in that core area. I just there's a lot of things going in Poirier's favor, I think, and you know, of course, Connor could do it. He's done it in the past. He's Mystic Mac, but I, I just I don't see where Connor makes this big improvement and closes the show out. John, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the fight tonight. We'll, we'll talk to you probably closer to the next of a UFC big fight feel type thing. All right, man, I appreciate it, and uh, enjoy it tonight as well. I'm sure everybody down there in Louisiana is very excited, and uh, you guys should be. Uh, if, if Dustin wins tonight, he's going to have an undisputed title shot. So uh, it's, it's, it's a great time to be a sports fan down there in Louisiana. Exactly, especially after the Spelling Bee champion was able to secure the bag here in this state. 
Shout out to West Bank. We're going to take a quick timeout. Back after this, wrap up the show with one quick final take about a spring football league that maybe is on its last legs. Back after this, 1037 the game. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 the game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. Before I head off on the old dusty trail, the one final take probably is going to hold up really well this week. And it's about the XFL. The XFL and the CFL's deal or or discussions fell through. And maybe, just maybe, again, we're going to be waiting until 2023 to really kind of finalize this. But I've got to think that the XFL may be breathing its last breath with this news that came out earlier this week about the CFL and the XFL's discussions. Now, of course, it could all kind of be brought back from the dead. There's a chance this thing could be coming back. But it's going to be an uphill climb, at least in my mind. That's the way I have it. That's the way just I think about it. And hopefully you enjoyed the show we had for you today. We'll be back with you next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Until next time. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. You know, I think we all need this. Be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes. Good weekend, everybody. Be back with you next week. Hey, Clavis. Wake up. The show's on. Oh, yeah. Kick it.